Alan was saying, the weather is so nice yesterday. Uh, we had the windows down and don't put your coats away because it's false spring. Casey and I went down to Joplin, Missouri um, to Ozark Christian College. We attended the preaching teaching conference they have there each year. and It, it was really amazing. Um, the first day on Monday, it was 74 degrees. We were outside. I was like sweating because it was warm and I was in jeans, which that's shorts weather for me. And we were walking around outside and then by the the next day, it started hailing these little tiny mini icicles of death. Um, and it, it just kept getting colder and colder, and it was really weird flux of, of, of weather. We went down there, and it's I, this is the second time I've been there, and it's, I just find it so amazing how God truly orchestrates different events in our lives. The theme this year for the Preaching Teaching Conference is up on the screen, After God's Own Heart, A Study Through the Life of David. Isn't it amazing that our theme this year is Pursue, A Quest for a Godly Heart. And here we're going down there and they're going to help all these ministers and people going down there to help learn it through the the life and study of David, how God just really planned this. Um, each morning they had a Bible study by John Kerr. Um, in fact, it's the same video, the guy in the video for our Sunday school adults over here, it's the same guy teaching this. He's a, a professor over the Old Testament. Um, the first study that we went through that morning, our first morning down there, was over 1 Samuel 25. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, a lot of what you're going to hear, I learned that morning. My notes that I had planned got pushed down to the end of the document, and I took all the notes that he gave me and reworked it and pretty much deleted 90% of what I had planned because of what God had shown through this guy. So you're going to get a college professor's level sermon from me. This year, as I said, our theme is Pursue a Quest for a Godly Heart. And we're looking at the life of David, the good, part, the good parts as well as the, the bad parts. We're going to see what made him, what God said is, makes him a man after God's own heart. David's known by many things. He's known as a poet, a shepherd, a warrior, a king, a musician. But most people know him as a man after God's own heart. And throughout this year, we're going to look at this. But what about those times where he is not acting the right way? We are not going to say that David was a perfect example. I, I want you to hear that up front. David failed, and sometimes miserably. And so that's kind of going to be what today is. So far we've looked at David facing the giant called Goliath, yet he didn't see the mighty warrior Goliath. He saw a puny man who had no faith or no relationship with the real giant of God. We've seen how David had his training wheels removed so that he could quit focusing on the worldly aspects and start focusing once more on God. In my last sermon, we saw how David had a chance to take vengeance on Saul. Saul is persecuting him, trying to kill him unjustly. And at the one point when Saul went into the, the cave to relieve himself, he cut off a part of the robe. And the next part, in chapter 27, he sneaks over while all the men are sleeping, and he steals his 
uh, sword or his spear and a jug of water to prove, I am not here to kill you. Both times, Saul acts out in fury. He lashes out in anger, goes on this quest, and both times, David responds with grace and forgiveness, humility. Saul lets his anger lead while David lets acts of humility and faith lead. That's chapters 24 and 26. I said 27 earlier. I meant 26. But what about... 25. What happens in between these two great examples of David? What does it take to follow through? What does David go through in this section? We're going to look at 25. If you have your Bibles or digital, really, I know it's on the screen, but it's always helpful to follow in your own um, Bible. Starting verse 1, Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at the house of Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Moab. Samuel dies. His mentor, David's mentor, the one who anointed him has died. And now David feels threatened. The one who said, you are the king, the one who speaks for God to the nations, the one who could confirm it all, is gone. The prophet of God, the one who would spiritually advise him and protect him, is gone. So David flees once more to the wilderness of Moan. Verse 2, there was a wealthy man of Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail, a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude, crude mean in all of his dealings. Now, Nabal here, let's just take a moment. He's very rich. He has 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats. When they came to shearing time, this would produce six tons of wool. Wool is not heavy, right? Six tons of wool. Nabal is rich. Notice the text, though, that it describes Nabal's wife before it describes him. It says he's wealthy, then it goes in to describe Abigail. Once again, this goes against the notion that the Bible elevates men over women. We're going to see something really key here. Here we see the wife is elevated as a better person than the husband. How does Scripture describe Abigail? Sensible and beautiful. Where it says sensible, that can be translated as discerning, intelligent. Abigail is wise and she is beautiful. And the scripture points to both of them, first wise and then beautiful. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who is King David's son, describes the noble woman, the the um, Proverbs 31 woman, and it seems to resonate with this wise and beautiful woman. And could it be that Solomon is describing Abigail, a person that he grew up and she's in this household. He knew Abigail, and the Proverbs 31 woman actually lived in front of him. It's not this character that he never could attain, but someone that he saw in real life. So that's how Abigail is described. Then compare to Nabal. 
He's crude, he's mean, he's harsh, he's acting, bad acting and cruel. He is not the good guy. He is the opposite. Now, real quick before it pops up there, names mean something in Scripture. And I think we should get back to names meaning something. I think we should start today. My name is Donald. Do you know what it means? A couple of you do. It means world ruler. It means something. Okay? Nathan is a gift from God. Some of you need better names. I didn't hear that one. So, names mean something. Now, Nabal means foolish. He's a descendant of Caleb, and Caleb means dog. So his dad is dog, and he's foolish. Let's go to verse 4. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten of his young men to Carmel with the message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, and they'll tell you this is true. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. David's young man gave this message to Nabal and David's in David's name, and then they waited for his reply. Now, we need to understand this in our t- time, and today, this seems weird. You, you don't go up to a farmer who's collecting all the bounty and say, Hey, we're neighbors. Um, how about you just share some of that with me? That, that's awkward in today's time. But in, in David's time, a, gave, a given favor means you're expected to give one in return. We cannot think David as being rude or trying to get a free meal. This was common. This was normal back then. A gift given is a gift expected. That, that is totally normal. It sounds weird to us, but we can't think in today. We've got to go back to context. It's very common. Now think of that. David's saying, hey, we gave you safety. We gave all your men safety. We didn't take anything from them. So could you return the favor? Look how it goes. Verse 10. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. That right there is a kick from Nabal. Should I take my bread, my water, and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David's young man returned and told him what Nabal had said. Nabal rejects David. He rejects David and rejects David's request. It is not just possible. It is quite probable that Nabal knew David's family. He knew them. What did he say? Who is this man, this son of Jesse? That wasn't in the message. Why would he say son of Jesse unless he knew who this David really is? He called him a servant who ran away from his master. He knows he's on 
fleeing from King Saul. So it's not like Nabal doesn't know who David is. This foolish man calls him son of Jesse. And he belittles and rejects David. David has not been treated this way since before Goliath. When his own dad when came to get anointed as king, he's like, well, yeah, I have one more son, but he's over there. He's nothing. When it comes to the battle against the Philistines, everybody, you're just a little pipsqueak boy. He's never been rejected since that point. Now he is David, the future king of Israel, David, the conqueror, David, the slayer of 10,000, the mighty champion, and this Nabal, this foolish one, has rejected him, has not given common courtesy. This foolish man, foolish one has rejected the great lengths that David took to protect his wealth. Look what David says. Get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. If you could jump down to verse 21, David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he has repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. What a man after God's own heart. <laughs> Wait a minute. This, he is... He is not acting right, is he? We just saw what he did in chapter 24 with King Saul. We've already read what he does in, in 26. What is he doing here? He is proclaiming war upon Nabal. He even says he is planning on wiping out every male. David is mad. He is livid. Have you ever felt livid? Where you get the news... You are so, you get this message and you're on a war path. A lot of help it did to help this Nabal. A lot of good it did to teach them what to do, protect them. Remember when we kept the robbers away? Remember when we found the sheep for them? Look, oh, a lot of good did, it did. A lot of good it did to, well, put in our own words. A lot of good it did to teach them what to do and look how they repaid us. A lot of good did, it did to clean up after them. Mothers, you know that phrase. A lot of good it did to love him that way. A lot of good it did to love her that way. A lot of good it did... And we get on the warpath. We get livid. David here, he retaliates. He lashes out in anger. Let's back up for a moment to 1 Samuel 22. Saul, King Saul, says this, You will surely die, Ahimelech, along with your entire family, the king shouted. And he ordered his bodyguards, Kill these priests, not soldiers. Kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. He lashes out in anger. Go kill these priests. The Saul's men refuse to kill the Lord's priests. Saul gets furious and orders the slaughter. Look what happens in verse 18. Then the king said to Doeg, 
you do it. So Doeg the Edomite turned on them, killed them. That day, 85 priests and all still wearing their priestly garments. They're working. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priests, and killed the priests' families, men, women, children, and babies, all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Saul's on a warpath, all because David, his enemy, and then these guys helped David, which they were doing their job. In his anger, David starts to act just like King Saul. And when we get angry, when we get livid on the warpath, isn't that like us? Wait a minute, we're striving to be more like Jesus. We're on a quest for a godly heart, but then anger rolls in like a flood. We end up acting like our enemy. What do you do when you're embroiled in anger? Do you lash out? Do you act out in vengeance? Let's get back into this story. First Samuel 25, go to verse 14. Meanwhile, one of Nabal's servants went to Abigail and told her, Now really listen to this message and hear what the servant is saying. David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. In fact, day and night they were like a wall of protection to us and the sheep. You, you need to know this and figure out what to do, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. He's so ill-tempered that nobody can talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread. Now, just think of her pantry for a moment. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. Now remember, it's coming time to a celebration, so she was planning a big feast. It's a celebration meal, and she's taking part of it with her. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. Abigail, the sensible, the wise, beautiful one, hears the news how her foolish husband treated David's request. The servant even says, you know how ill-tempered he is. Nobody can talk to him. He gives an account of how great David was, that David actually went above and beyond. He didn't just steal or keep from stealing from us. He protected us. Nothing could harm us. Nabal's wealth is a result of David's protection. He was able to keep all the sheep, all the goats, because David gave a gift. Abigail knows this and reacts quickly. She sends out a feast, but she, in her sensible, wise ways, does not tell her husband. She goes to handle this problem on her own, much like the proverb 31 woman who handles the affairs of her household to make sure things run wisely. Verse 20, as she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. David had just been saying... 
a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness. Nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he's repaid me evil for good. May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. He is in earshot and eyesight of Abigail. She's hearing this death threat. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be as cursed as Nabal is. Hear what she's really saying. And here, as a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men, please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battles. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life, even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, King Saul. Your life is safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in His treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Remember when you did that to Goliath? When the Lord has done all He has promised and has made you leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needles, blood, of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember your servant. Abigail is the hero of this chapter. How she handles the situation as well as the words she speaks are full of power and purpose. David is stewing in his anger. When he says those words, he says this fellow. He doesn't even use Nabal's name anymore, which means he's demeaned him. He's diminished um, Nabal as a person to just an object that he's going to get rid of. Which is again how... Saul spoke of David. David is truly following in, falling into the traps of sinful anger. Another thing, in verse 22, David says, May God strike me and kill me. You'll notice on the screen, it is a lower G. And that is done on purpose. David does not use the proper name of God. It's more of a generic term. He doesn't use the name Yahweh. That's what they would have said for God. This is a generic term, any of the God. Some translations actually have an argument to turn this to a little g. In every other place where David talks about God, it is Yahweh. But here, he uses a generic term. Here, David has fallen deeper into his anger and lost sight of God. He isn't even trusting the leading of God to go into this vengeance because God isn't leading it. David has left that area of pursuing a godly heart and 
uh, fell into his own. How does Abigail respond to David? She bows down. She takes the posture of humility. She's basically saying, I, I recognize your authority, your worthiness, your respect and honor. And then she says, don't blame Nabal. I will carry the guilt. She takes the guilt of her husband on herself. Her foolish husband once again acted like the fool, but she says, I accept all blame in this matter. That, that is a heavy statement. One that's reiterated in the New Testament. She takes the guilt and even possible punishment that Nabal truly deserves. And Abigail gives a great statement here. This is the longest recorded statement of a woman in the entire Bible. In her speech to David, Abigail uses the name Yahweh in verse 26, 28, 29, 30, and 31. David refused to use it, and Abigail repeatedly uses it. She is pointing back to God, the one who has protected David, the one who has guided David, to the one who has sustained David. Abigail points back to God, the one whom David has forgotten at this point. She humbles herself and says, David, you look at him. Quit looking at the foolish one. And how does he reply? Verse 32, David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the Yahweh of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank Yahweh for your good sense. See how David's already come back. Bless you from keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the Yahweh of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Look what happens here. This year is huge in David's life. When he has shown the error of his ways, first David gives credit and glory to God. He points back to Yahweh. He once again uses the proper name for God. He sees Abigail there by the hand of God. He doesn't lash out. He doesn't try to justify his own actions. He gives credit and glory to God. He even gives credit to Abigail. He says, bless you and your good sense. And what is the flip side of that? In my bad sense. Thank you for stopping me in my bad sense. And then he does what no man will ever do. He admits his wrong. He says, bless you for keeping me from murder. Not from vengeance. Not from trying to kill this guy. From murder, which is the sin. He accepts the peace offering and then David changes direction. And because of this, David changes his actions. He didn't follow through. Just real quick, I want you to just look at this. This is repeated in the New Testament. We give credit and glory to God for who He is. We thank the person who has taught us the error of our ways. We admit our wrong and repent and turn our direction. 
And this all came about in the Old Testament from a wise and beautiful woman. The story doesn't end there. Thankfully. Let's find out what happens to the rest of this. Verse 36, when Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke, and he lay paralyzed in his bed like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. (laughs) Whoa. Abigail goes home and she finds her husband lavishing a party. He's acting like a king, but he's not. He's acting very foolish again. Notice she's still in this moment gracious. She's still wise. She knows he is dumb drunk. There's no use talking to him. She waits till he's sober. The news is so shocking, the ball has a stroke on the spot. And ten days later, he dies. King David wanted to kill Nabal for being so foolish. And yet, because David backed off, he was able to see God handle it in his own timing. David learned that vengeance is not in his own hands, but is in God's hands. Now, if you go and reread chapter 26, when David has a chance to king, kill King Saul again, you can see how David lets go of vengeance. He's being chased again, and it could it be that this time when he's standing there looking at King Saul on the ground asleep, that he remembers the wise and beautiful words of Abigail. And he backs up. What lessons can we learn from today's story? How many of you have anger issues? Now, yeah, yeah, Alan's like... (laughs) We don't like to admit that, do we? But we have anger issues. What can we learn that will benefit us from this so that we can serve the Lord better? Let's consider first a few things. First and foremost, we learn that anger must be properly managed and directed. Letting anger drive the train gets us in all kinds of trouble. I read a statement and it said this. The old saying goes something like this. Those who fly into a rage seldom make a safe landing. If you're going to fly off the handle, guess what? You've already lost the battle. Because you have let anger drive. We must, with God's help, determine we are not going to let anger control us in our behavior. David let anger control him. He grabbed his sword and he went to war. Anger was controlling him. So we can't do that. When we find ourselves becoming angry, we need to stop and ask why. Now, this is not easy. The... the, thing you don't want to do when you're angry is stop and think. You want to go act. That's what anger does. But we need to ask, what is really going on inside us? Are we angry because we really don't feel well for some reason? Are we angry because of something that's been done to us? 
Are we frustrated because of the actions of someone and we're directing it the wrong way? Are we angry because we've been threatened in some way? Are we angry because we're not getting what we think we deserve? Are we angry because we are being treated unjustly? Are we angry because we feel someone is attempting to control our lives or they're trying to um, incorporate their position in inappropriate ways? Are we angry at ourselves because of a mistake we've made? Are we angry because our pride is hurt? What is our anger telling us about ourselves? Those, the answer to those questions are going to help us solve a lot of the problems that uncontrolled anger causes. Abigail, as I said, she's the hero of the event. She was wise, she was humble and gentle, and she was focused on God. So here's a question. Who is the Abigail in your life? Who has God placed in your life to help you when you get angry? Notice them. Be ready to respond the way David did. And then the second question, what do you and I need to do so that we can be an Abigail to someone else? Wise and beautiful in our attitudes to help point someone back to God. Hey, 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 before you fly off up the handle, before you say that, before you do that, can we look at God first? Can we remember what God has done for you? Quit looking at the foolish ones. And look at God. The truth is, anger is a God-given, necessary emotion. Anger is not a sin. Okay? Jesus got angry. God's gotten angry. angry. Anger is a God-given, necessary emotion. Anger is a normal response to personal hurt, perceived justice. But anger can and must be managed and appropriately directed. Proverbs 29.11 And Nabal always loses his temper. A fool. But a wise person holds it back. It doesn't say a foolish person gets angry. It does not say a wise person never gets angry. It says a wise person holds their anger. They control their anger. Don't feel you can't get angry, but make sure anger doesn't control you. James 1, 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is a command in the New Testament. Do not get angry quick. And if God would not command us something that we cannot do. I grew up in a household with redheads. You know what that means. You light the match. And now there's a forest fire, right? And my mom's probably going to watch this, so I'll get a phone call. Do we let the anger control us? God would not give us this command of being slow to anger if it was not possible. 
But we can't do that if we're looking at the foolish. We have to turn and direct our eyes back to God. God can help us look inside and see what it is that is fueling our anger, possibly diffuse it, or learn to channel it appropriately. This last verse I, w- I want to say, Ephesians 4.26, and, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's exactly what David was doing. In this moment, he grabbed the sword and he opened up his heart. He opened up the door of his life for Satan to get in. This man, after God's own heart, removed God from the throne and let Satan in. Letting our anger control us is a sin. I didn't say it, the Bible does. Too many times we act like David. We allow our anger to control us. We allow our anger to lead us to sin. And just think about all the things that can happen. I mean, we've gone through so many things. You get something in the mail you don't like. Boom! Anger. Your kids are acting up. You explode into anger. That person you work with, they did it or said it again and Your spouse isn't responding right. The car is breaking. Your house is needing repair. Then you hit your finger with the hammer. And we all hulk up. And we go on a warpath. Do you allow anger to control you? One of the scenes that's in Scripture, Jesus gets angry at the misuse of the proper time of worship, of the misuse of helping people come to worship God. And he gets angry. He chases people out of the temple. He makes a whip and cracks it. He throws the tables. And the whole time, he is in control of his anger. So do not think you can't get anger. I'm not saying, moms, you can throw the table around to make your kids understand. But do you allow your anger to control you? And really, how many of us hate being the puppet for someone else? Don't we hate it when somebody's pulling our strings? And when we allow anger to lead us, we are asking to be the puppet of Satan, who loves to pull those strings to make us do or say certain things. God is telling us, He is telling His followers, stop. The world will know you are Christians not by your anger, but by your righteous living based on love. Love of God and love of others. God is telling His followers to control your anger. I can tell you many times in my anger, I have been in a ball. I have been foolish. There was a time early in our marriage that uh, I kicked the cabinet in the, the place we rented and broke and shattered the wood paneling in it, which meant I had to pay for it and fix it. There was another time I was so mad I had a plate with um, pizza in it, and I threw it at the wall, shattered the plate, had to clean up the mess, and both times so foolish. 
Not in either one of those instances did my wife say, now that's a husband. Not once. The times I actually stop and ask why and direct it and channel that anger to something righteous, that's the time people around me go, what is different? Why did you do it that way? And I can say it's not me, because if it's me, I'm kicking another wall. I can actually say it's Yahweh. It's God. I submit to Him and let Him cut those strings of sinful anger that try to control me. And David, a man after God's own heart, learned it the hard way. He had to quit looking at the fools, the foolish things of this world. There are foolish things around all of us. There are foolish things that are going to try and distract you. There are foolish things that are going to try and hurt you. And they want to hurt and kill your faith. They're going to get you on a murdering rampage that squashes the Holy Spirit. And so we have to sit there and say no. And listen to the Abigails and turn our direction back to God. There are, I'm going to just say it, there are some people in this room who you have anger issues. You fly off the handle that when you bottle it up and then you explode like a volcano and Mount Suvius happens once more. That's a sin. It's a sin. You can't do that. There are some people that in your anger, you spill out and you hurt people around you. That's a sin. It's not how, not how God has called us to act. And so today, will you listen to what Abigail said in those scriptures? Will you change your direction? Will you repent and say, Yep, I'm not looking at Yahweh. Thank you, God, for speaking to me. And change your direction. Because then the world will see Jesus living in us. If you have to do this, if you need to make that, if you want to have somebody pray, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to meet you in the back room there. You don't need to come up front. This isn't about show and tell. This isn't about getting credit. If you have anger issues, I want you to know I I have it too. And we'll go and fall on our knees before God and ask Him to guide us. Will you make that decision? Will you make it known to Him and change your direction? Let's pray. God, we come before You. And Lord, we thank You that we don't have to be bound by the foolishness. That we don't have to let the nabals of this life control us. So Lord, as we come into a time of worship, as we come back to a time where we elevate who You are, would You open up our eyes and our minds so we can get another glimpse of Your glory. Remind us that the anger that we deserve from you for our sins. The vengeance we deserve for betraying you was placed on the cross and not on us. Remind us of that so that we can bear that same image of Christ to others. Lord, thank you for not. Thank you for not pouring out your anger on us. And help us to reciprocate. And in Jesus we all pray. 
Amen. And now let's stand and worship our God.